Maybe we can start with this, because I've been thinking about this. Dude, days can be so long and so short, and you can get so much done in a day, but you can also get nothing done in a day. And I mean those things all at the same time. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, some days you have, some days it feels like you're working so much, and you get like a bunch of shit done. You're like, damn, it was a good day. And then other days you're working a lot, but it doesn't feel like you get anything done. And it's not that you're not getting anything done, right? Because, I mean, there's inefficient work and efficient work, of course. But, you know, some, let's say, for example, you take the time to organize yourself, organize your desk, organize this, that. It's like, you're not really, quote, quote, completing anything, but you're doing work. (laughs) You know what I mean? But it doesn't feel like you're getting anything done, but it sets you up to be more productive in the future. I don't know. Weird thoughts. I like it. Um, no, I'm pretty productive every day, man. I don't have, I'm just kidding. I I need to get Um, some pointers. No, yeah, I'm totally joking. Um, yeah, I completely get what you're saying. The, um, I got to bring it back to a conversation that we had probably a, a while ago. We were talking a bit about Epicureanism and this thing of, uh, pleasure. I don't know. It made me think of the when you were talking about like a day where you do nothing, I thought of just like watching Netflix, you know, you kind of don't really do anything. You like take a nap, whatever. (laughs) But (laughs) paradoxically, (laughs) like in a way I'm all like, I'm all for it. Yeah. In a way of, um, that stuff of preferred and different things of like, even you're talking about like organizing your desk, getting some, you know, in a, in a way, some of that stuff can be this preferred thing. Cause it can make you more productive, like moving forward. Isn't that strange? hundred percent. And uh, what I find too, is that if you're always like on the grind, getting work done, work, 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 And you don't give yourself time to, I don't like the term like creatively think, but just just to sit back and look at your work and reprioritize and allow the muse to to tell you things that maybe you're, you're not seeing because you've been working, like you've had your head in the book for the last five days or five weeks. Like, I think that's incredibly beneficial too. It gives you a chance to reprioritize because I often think like I've seen a lot of people that they when they have a lot of things to do and they're working really, really hard and they're getting work done. But if you watch them, sometimes you'll see them do things that are not optimal. And it's not because they don't have the wisdom to know what's optimal. It's because they're so consumed by this task, this task, this task, and I got to get all this shit done that they, they can't take, they don't have any mental space to take a step back and look at everything and say, Oh shit, maybe I don't need to be doing this particular thing right now. And I catch myself doing this too. I catch myself doing things that I don't really need to do today. And it's not even an efficiency thing. Sometimes I'm like putting something off. I'm like this task I don't want to do. And this is the task I need to do. But 
I don't want to do it. So I'm going to be productive, quote, quote, in other ways, even though that's probably not good. Like there's things that, that take priority over others. And uh, yeah, it's a weird thing. Like productivity, I, obviously, I think we both think a lot about that. But I, I spend a lot of time trying to become more efficient in my workflow, get more done, be more productive. And it's, yeah, I don't think I'll ever be perfect at it, but hopefully there's an upward trajectory here. Hearing you talk about it, like the intellectual humility almost to, huh, what can I change? Like, am I doing, <laughs> does this make sense? Like, it seems even for that, like process improvement to happen, there's a level of what I would call intellectual humility or, you know, curiosity, quick reflection type of thing. Um, Cause like we're just creatures of habit. We can, before we know it, like really do something in a dumb way. Like, or I don't necessarily mean a dumb way like that, but in a just totally inefficient way. Uh, <laughs> it's a, it's strange. I'm I'm laughing at myself now because uh, I just recently found some sort of like route to drop off my kids at school in the morning. That's literally like, I mean, it's not a long drive, but it's honestly like five minutes <laughs> faster. Yeah. And I totally did not know. I was going a totally dumb way. Just like pass. <laughs> there was like a more of a straight shot. I'm like, passing it going up here all of these like you know three or four additional miles for the last couple of years <laughs> yeah and uh, it's funny that we we can catch ourselves doing that all the time in hindsight or we, we we learn something and we think oh damn i could have been doing this for the last 10 years and things would have been so much better and it's interesting because like you said you mentioned habit right and i think i think that is what that's our biggest strength in many ways. And it's also our biggest weakness because habits can, whatever habits you're practicing can bring you somewhere better or far worse. Right. And so you, you mentioned about just, you're on this, you're on this road, like every day you drive your kids to school, you take this route and that becomes a habit. You don't even think about it. And that allows you to not spend any mental energy thinking about that route but the consequence of that is that you also don't have the headspace to think, how can I optimize this? Because you're just on repeat. And that's a weird thing to want to optimize, right? It's like, well, how do I save two minutes on my drive to to school every day? And fair enough. But, you know, that's just one example of how you, you get that habit and then you don't even think about it. And and it's, it's, it's a benefit because you don't have to think about it, but it's a curse because you don't think about it and you don't think about optimizing it. So be wary well, of habits. Yeah, and it adds up because it's like there and back. And then when you go pick them up, like there and back. So probably a total of almost 20 minutes a day, you know, over years of just like extra gas, like wear and tear. Also, but but the, the weird thing is, is um like taking a new route. It's like, oh, let me try this way, man. This this looks like I think this connects over here. So it's like, and I could have been wrong. And it's like, maybe you get lost or, you know, it takes you some sort of way. But sometimes 
in our daily habits, like the routines, like how we're, whatever we're doing for required stuff at work or just living, just takes the ability to like, ah, let me try something new here. And at first it might, because it's new and we're creatures of habit, might take a little bit longer or feel a little, you know, the the uncertainty, the unknown type of stuff. But it, it these little things can really, I mean, it, it, it scales up. This can be, this can apply to many, many different things like your relationship, how you do all sorts of things in, in life. Yeah, it's really weird. Yeah. And it's almost a, it's almost a privilege for things to be that stable, right? Cause yeah. you, if, you, if you think about like, so you, you've been driving this route for, for years. And what that means is that you've been in the same place for a very long time. You've had the same children or, or you know, I, I don't know how old they are, but maybe you had a new one, but, but you've, you've basically had the same children. They've been going to the same school. You've, you've had a vehicle, maybe it's a different vehicle, but you've had a vehicle. So you have all these constants and, you know, you and I talk all the time about how nothing is permanent and things change. So you're talking about that mundaneness of life sometimes that, that, uh, we get, we can get bored sometimes doing the same thing over and over and over again. And, and the train sort of goes on and you can think about that as, you know, I need a bit more excitement in my life. Let me turn left instead of right, which is <laughs> kind of a, <laughs> like in the in the real world. That's kind of a funny way to get some excitement. Yeah. But 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 we do do that where, you know, we we are creatures of habit, and then we get bored sometimes, and and we have to try something new. And you could also think about that as kind of a kind of a privilege in some ways that you know nothing has changed. Like you still have your vehicle, you still have those kids, you still have the, the responsibility and the meaning to drive your kids to school every, every morning. Uh, just another way of looking at it, I suppose. Yeah. I've been thinking a lot about habits lately. Like, as you know, I've been uh, doing this perennial habits course and thinking about obviously stuff that we've talked about and stuff. I, I think about of these ancient practices, like say even the dichotomy of control type of thing. Like, how do you remember to actually put into the mundane, you know, habit paved type of roads and routines that we all have in in daily life of things like gratitude, the dichotomy of control, like the view from above, the middle way, you know, all of these ancient practices that show up across wisdom traditions. Like that's such a a thing when it comes to uh, like process improvement. If that, you know, if that's like a thing we're, we're kind of talking about, we often don't even look to stuff like that, mm-hmm. like process improvement. How can I remember to, to integrate a bit of mindfulness? Like how can I, you know, and like, that's the paradox thing that taking 30 seconds for, you know, 10 mindful breaths in the middle of your day, right before you eat lunch or, you know, whatever it may be as something that can just drastically increase the quality of of your life. But that is a difficult thing to remember to do, to even 
like think of, cause we're thinking about so many other things like mm-hmm. process improvement. Like the example I brought up, I saved three minutes each way. <laughs> I found a new way, you know? Um, but yeah, it's just, it's, just, it's this fascinating thing. Yeah. And I think <clears throat> the other side of that is we can get caught over optimizing sometimes too. And I see this as well. People Definitely. get, people can get crippled by always looking for a better way. And the interesting thing about that is that there is always a better way. And, you know, in engineering, we say there's no perfect way. There's just compromises. And that gets really scary too, because sometimes you design for something and you, you change it because you think it's going to make it better in this way. And then you just destroy the whole thing. Right. But I see this. And actually I had a conversation with a friend before uh, he decided to get married uh, with his girlfriend. He proposed and he was saying that he said, that he didn't really think that she was the perfect partner for him and or vice versa, but that they were both at a time in their life that where they were willing to put the flag in the ground and, and build something together. And I think we get crippled with that today. People, people are always looking for that perfect person, right? And if you were to look at, uh, just, just to use that as an example in terms of over-optimization, if you were to look at, let's say the 7 billion people on the planet, it's like, if you were to put those people in a spreadsheet and like really detail every, all the personality traits and everything and put yours in there, like you're going to get some mathematical statistical number. That's like this person would be a 99% perfect match with you. But then when you couple that with the fact that you're probably never going to actually find them in reality, there's, you're never going to find that. So you have this element of time where again, to get back to memento mori, we're never, we're not always going to be here. There does become a point in your life where you do have to accept the the flaws and the imperfections of your current situation and move forward. And if you don't do that, the consequences are that you never actually build anything meaningful. And that's true in relationships, but it's also true in work because you can study in university for your whole damn life and never build a career. And it's like, is that better? Would you rather find your quote, quote, perfect career at at, at 60? because you've studied all your life or would you rather, you know, take a, a good guess, find something that's pretty meaningful to you that you, that you enjoy, you don't hate it and then build a very meaningful career from that. Those are two great questions, but we do only have so much time. So that has to be at least some consideration. Oh, definitely. And it's the, um, I don't know, to bring up the humility thing again, some of those things of this perfect person, this blah, blah, blah. What do you know? You know, could be something that you tell yourself, you don't know. Uh, it's something that makes me uh, laugh. I forget who put it in their book, but I think it was Darwin um, discerning like whether to get married or not. And this big, like long list. And it's like, Oh, all of this and thinking about this. And it's like, You don't know. (laughs) Like until you just go do it. Like you have no idea. Um, But that's that's funny type of stuff. Of um, like we've talked about before. You know, you meet some sort of fork in the road. Like I'm going to go be a veterinarian. I'm going to go. You know, (laughs) do whatever. Do whatever. It's like whatever you choose. 
like one, you don't even know you're at this fork of the road. You're kind of making a best guess type of thing. And there's nothing wrong with obviously discerning some of that type of stuff. But even just acknowledging that in a way, like happiness, a good life is available whichever path you, yeah. whichever path you take whichever sort of thing um i don't know even in the same thing uh with relationships i know we were kicking around maybe talking about some paradoxical quotes as a as a conversation but around the relationship one i think it's interesting um uh, eric Fromm, who wrote the book the the art of loving like 50 years ago or so he said in love, the paradox occurs that two beings become one and yet remain two. And some of these people talk about in the way of um, like these relationship ex- experts. One is uh, the psychologist Gottman talks about parallel lives. Like in a way, yes, this relationship that you're getting in, but in a way, it's like this person has their life as well. You know, they still do. <laughs> and it's like you do as well. It's like parallel lives navigating together. But sometimes we can think about it. I don't know. I, I think in a way of like overthink it um, of, of that some sort of you need this type of person or you need this particular uh, profession? No, not really. You have everything you need, you know, to cultivate your character and to, you know, attempt to to flourish. Yeah, I would agree, and I, I think, I think when it comes to that, let's say living, let's say living alone versus pair bonding with someone and moving through life, I think it's all just a matter of, you know, there's there's consequences either way. And I heard this quote, I don't know who said it, but it was something like, if you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, go together. And I mean, a great example of this is if you're on a road trip, dude, if I'm on a road trip by myself, I'm not stopping, right? <laughs> and and if I'm stopping, it's like on a, at, an, at an overpass and I'm jumping behind the cement to take a quick piss and I'm back on the road, right? <laughs> like there's no stopping. But if you're traveling with your partner, oh, I want to stop and see this tourist site before we continue on the road. Oh, I got to go to the bathroom. Oh, I want to get a coffee. It's like you can easily add an hour to your, you know, four or five hour trip just by having one other person in the car with you. And uh, and so that's, that's just a very prime example of that. But I think that's true just in general. Like you can, you can go really, you can move really fast through life by yourself. But if you really want to go far, I do think it's it's better to have more people around you. It it, it fills you out better. It, it it for lack of I don't want to sound too like spiritual, but it makes you more whole in a sense. Because mm-hmm. you know, I mean, again, so the five hour drive, it's like okay, you could get there quicker by yourself, but you're by yourself, and maybe that's not a bad thing, but maybe it's not the best thing. I don't know. Yeah, it is. It's, I mean, I swear, I think so many things are like paradoxical in a way because by yourself, 
you you just have so much agency <laughs> to like make decisions like in a way can be very simple you know because there's like one person making these decisions and i mean you keep adding more you know go do something with a group of like seven or eight people oh it's impossible yeah even deciding where to you know eat and making some of these decisions can can be a bit challenging but it's also the, like there's pros and cons to everything and like as life when we think about that it's like we can think of one way same thing with like that profession well really there's pros and cons to this profession this other thing you know there, there's a pro and con list for everything and the same thing with us like if we put that in terms of um you know if we're honest like we're all a bit difficult you know to live with we're all a bit you know all of this type of stuff the, that pro and con list applies to to us as well yeah and i really think when it comes to that stuff i think I really think it's a choice to say this, this is my person. And I don't mean that too romantically. I'll give you a great example. Cause I said this the other day, I was talking with a, a guy at work there and we we're talking about some of the guys that we, we work with the, the laborers. And, uh, you know, we were talking that they weren't, they weren't the best. They weren't the most competent at their job. You know, sometimes they're lazy. Sometimes they don't do things right. And, um, I don't know, man, about, I guess about a year ago, I decided in my, in my current company that like this was going to be my company at least for a while. Right. So, you know, I, I basically, I made the point that I, <laughs> I said, yeah, you're right. Like these guys are idiots, but they're my idiots. Right. And you know, idiots is a strong word, but, um, I think anyone who works, uh, <laughs> works in a big company can relate to that. But I think there's something to that, you know, where y you can nitpick and you can say this person is, is, is terrible at their job or this and that and they make mistakes. But the truth is, is that everyone makes mistakes and that everyone's imperfect and everyone falls short of the mark. Could you get someone that falls less short of the mark? Yeah, probably. But it's like, like you, you said, you also have to have to look at yourself and, and you can also say that same thing about yourself. You can say, yeah, I'm an idiot, but I'm my idiot. Right. You can take full ownership over your, your insufficiencies and, and own that. And again, the beautiful part of that is it allows you the opportunity to live in harmony with yourself and with others by making that choice. I love it. I'm thinking of David Goggins when he's like, Roger that <laughs> talking to himself. Yeah. He's like, yeah. Roger that. Um, I almost want to bring in the, uh, and, and maybe this could be an opportunity as this episode to reflect back on, you know, the, the dozen or so episodes that we put out. But like, as you were talking there, I almost wanted to bring in the Epictetus quote of like, <laughs> it sounded like you were like saying exactly the same thing that Epictetus is saying. It's like, yeah, these are mine. Like, this is it. This is my life. This is like, it's all good. Um, yeah. In the way of, of this. And it's like both of those things can be true at the same time. Like there can be, you know, some room for improvement, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, and it's all good. Like, this is it. I'm still grateful for where I am, who I'm with and, and all of this type of stuff, which is in a way there's some, I, I don't know, that feels like freedom to me. If you can, 
find that. Maybe it's difficult to find all the time, but I think like freedom is in a way the the right word there, at least to me. Yeah, hundred percent. And and I think people do that with companies a lot now. Yeah, younger <clears throat> professionals, they they jump ship a lot. And I mean, I'm not pointing any fingers because I did that. You know, I, I worked my first job at a university. I worked like 18 months. And then the second job, I worked like 18 months. And then the the third job, I, I said to myself that I, I wanted to stick this through for at least five years. And I'm three years into it. But yeah, you you can do that with your company too. And it's, I'm not saying that choosing to to jump ship and go to another company, it's not always bad for your career. Certainly not. But I mean, I've been with this company now for three years and, you know, I, I found a mode of being with, with the people around me. That's, that's really, that works. And again, it's far from perfect. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I th- I think there's, that's been one of the best things I think I've ever done is just to, just to own whatever insufficient state you're in, whether that's the company you think you're in, or if it's the relationship you're in, or if it's a friend, or if it's yourself, is it just, just, to, just to, and it's a choice, man. Like that's the crazy thing about it is it is a choice. It is a choice to say, I'm going to live with this and I'm going to stick my flag here and I'm going to work through these issues as opposed to jumping ship the, every time an issue pops up. And it's very freeing. I would agree. It, it's such an important point though. I think in a way it's, um, and, and we'll, we'll take a, take a pause here maybe before we get too far into it, but just to like touch on that, like that particular point, that decision point in a way, like as we're talking about, like say flourishing, living a good life, you can get into a spot where I'm not living a good life because of X. And when X changes, then I'll be living a good life. And I think like that's the, where it gets, the problem on, you know, making decisions. Cause sometimes the decision is it's, it's no big deal. Like I'm charting down a, a new path, but when we're making that decision, because we think like this particular new path, you know, is the good life and all of these problems where sometimes learning to be happy or learning to deal with those current circumstances is a way of cultivating wisdom. You know, there are things in your current situation with your current partner, with your current job, things that are in the category of outside of our control that are causing us suffering, that are causing us misery. And sometimes by staying, it's actually the opportunity to loosen our grip on some of these things, to recognize, you know, what it might be that's like ruffling our our feathers every day. And, um, you know, because then again, like that new particular path, like in, in my experience, that new particular path, because it's new and it's a bit more exciting, you know, it feels in a way like you've, you've left that suffering, you know, until a year later and like things get comfortable and then it's basically, it comes right back up. I mean, you see that happen in terms of relationships and stuff like that of these things that can carry on in in different relationships and it's it's sometimes it's us it's like our desire for control or desire to change things and all that type of stuff yeah and just and just to feel too you know, you, 
you talk about people that get kind of bored in their relationships. I think yeah. a lot of times people just, they haven't been able to see the extraordinary in the ordinary. And that's when they go looking for some kind of a new emotional experience, right? Because I mean, it's just one of those things where we, we do get accustomed to the things the oftentimes wonderful things that surround us, such, such as our partner or, you know, the, the house that we live in or our children or the tree that, I mean, man, when I first moved into this house two years ago, that maple tree, I have a maple tree in my front yard. I freaking love that thing, man. Like I would just like, <laughs> it's just beautiful. It's a beautiful tree. And you know, it's, it's, it's not uncommon for me to not even notice it some days. And it's like, again, you get accustomed to the great things in life that used to just stand out to you as being so beautiful. And, um, and, and that happens in relationships all the time. And so I think the key there is to find a way to find the extraordinary in the ordinary, the things that you see every day and appreciate it. And sometimes that comes, that comes, uh, through spending some time apart. Cause one of the things we talk about long-term relationships, a lot of times, um, the studies on that show that, the couples that last the longest, they take a bit of time apart. They're not always at each other's hips. It's like there's, there's, there's drifting apart and then there's coming together. There's these waves because if you just go stagnant, yeah, sure. You're always going to be at each other's hips, but there's also not going to be any, any highs or lows uh, throughout that whole thing. And I think that's what people crave is that, that real big high, you know, that honeymoon phase when you, when you first meet someone. Um, yeah. yeah. Maybe we could talk a little bit about, um, reading and and watching type of stuff what we're reading and watching before we get into the conversation because and if i could kick it off uh something i'm watching connects with what we're chatting about married at first sight (gasps) yeah season ending coming up here in the in the coming coming weeks it's wrap wrapping up man Damn, I'm gonna need details. Yeah, I, I, basically, this is like a plug. I like to make plugs. My plug is for Married at First Sight. But this strange thing of um, they interview all these people and they're finding people that are single that obviously want to be married that have you know been at this for a bit. You know, many are like around thirty thirty years old and you know, really looking to start a life and start a family and all this type of stuff. And obviously, you know, these experts pick people that are, you know, wise, nice, kind, you know, kind people. They put a lot of thought and try to think about who to match together. And like very few of them work out. It's it's like a sad thing. It's so sad. Yeah. Um. And I know there's more to it. I mean, I'm like, I'm definitely empathetic in terms of, you know, there's compassion and, uh, or excuse me, like a certain like connection and attraction and stuff like that, that needs, needs to be there. And I guess, and all that type of stuff, but the things that cause issues in these relationships, you know, it's like you were talking about of making that choice, making some like decision to love in spite of, you know, it's like everybody has their little, you know, their, their little quirks and their little things that might annoy you. Like there isn't a person out there that 
it's just going to be identical to you. If there was, you wouldn't, you wouldn't want to be with, it would be yeah. so boring. You know, if you were like a I carbon, yeah, carbon copy of yourself, there was like absolute agreement on everything, like 100% alignment. That would be crazy, but it, it causes, you know, all of these um, issues. Cause it's so difficult for us to just like appreciate and accept and live in the, the imperfection of things, like whether it's us, life in general, all that stuff. It's so fascinating. Yeah, it is. Relationships are so complicated. I, I was just, I was thinking when you mentioned about, <laughs> you know, finding yourself, there's a Seinfeld episode where he, Jerry finds his, it's like basically him. Like he's always so dating this woman. And, um, you know, she says, she tells jokes the same way. And, and I think she dresses similarly and she <laughs> eats her food the same way. And, and at first he's like, at first he tells Kramer, he's like, she's just unbelievable. Like I'm so in love with her. And I realized what I've been looking for all these years myself. And then Kramer's just like, you're freaking me out, man. Like stop. And then basically it wasn't long after that. Jerry's uh, new girlfriend just started annoying the shit out of him. Right. <laughs> And then so he has another conversation with Kramer and he's like, I can't be with someone like me. I hate myself, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and I just, I can 100% relate to that. Um, oh my God. Weird. And, but isn't it, isn't that strange though, that, you know, there's that quote sometimes that goes around. It's like, if you can't love yourself, how do you expect anyone to love you? And it's like, yes and no, <laughs> because I love myself, but I also, I don't think I could live with another version of me. You know, I, 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 I <laughs> <laughs> yeah you know but it's weird that thing of an actual honest look at yourself i mean we've had many conversations about the darkness of human nature and all of that type of stuff but in a way in a in a less dark version of that just knowing yourself like there's this book why um i think it's it's like why you'll marry the wrong person. Yeah. Yeah. Um, by, uh, the school, school of life guy, Alan de Baton. Um, but he says so funny. He says in this book and it's super short book of, um, you know, the first thing you should do on this first date is like, talk about like your madness, like, how crazy you are. Like, why are you crazy? You know, it's like, let's bring it out. Like, here's my type of crazy because we all have that. Like we all have, I mean, it's no different than like young talking about exploring our, our madness and actually accepting it. It's like, you know, we all have our, our, our quirks and stuff like that. And just being honest about it actually makes us, you know, more empathetic and compassionate and generous and, you know, forgiving and stuff like that, that like, that's a strange thing as well. And I know for some that maybe it's this, I'm not talking about a shame thing where, where, you know, you think that you're less than or something like that. No, it's like, we're not actually at all like less valuable because, you know, we have some imperfections. Like you can look at 
diamonds and they do these things of rating and stuff like that. You know, there's no perfect diamond. Like even the $10,000 diamond is, it still has these imperfections, some sort of expert that looks at it. You know, it's still valuable. Like we're the same way. Yes, we're imperfect. And that's the beautiful thing about it. Like there is beauty in terms of accepting the imperfections of things. Yeah. And I have a great example about this, actually. There's uh, for those Canadians out there uh, or Americans who happen to find their way across a <laughs> Canadian dime. Uh, on a Canadian dime, there's a sailboat and it's called the Blue Nose. And actually my home province, Nova Scotia, that's where the boat was built. Um, they call us Blue Nosers. But anyways, what was interesting about that boat is that when it was built, it just destroyed the competition, right? It sailed really fast, sailed, sailed really well. And the crazy thing about it is what made it, what made it so much better was actually an imperfection in, in the design. So mm. when they built the thing, the bow, there, there was a curve in the bow that, that, you know, I won't get into the details and I'm, I'm a naval architect nerd, but it basically wasn't, it wasn't proper. It's not how it was supposed to be. And they actually had to, they had, people in the bottom of the boat during inspection walking back and forth to to change the uh, how the boat sits in the water basically doing that while it was being inspected so that it would pass inspection so it wouldn't even pass inspection right and that very that very defect was the thing that made it special and obviously you know if you have an imperfection like a hole in the hole that's probably not a good one right <laughs> the boat's probably going to sink but but it is something surely that to your point, our, our our imperfections are really what make us us, and and the acceptance of one's imperfections is what makes someone yours as well. So I mentioned like they're my idiots. That's a choice. That's this guy is lazy sometimes. I have to tell him, you know, remind him that he has to work. This guy can never, ever do this job right, no matter how many times I explain it to him. So I have to keep explaining it to him. It's like those are imperfections in 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 who they are. And for me to own that, that's what makes them mine. Like it's not, yeah, these guys are great at this job and that's what makes them mine. It's like, no, the fact that I accept them for their flawed, <laughs> their current flawed state, that's what makes them mine. And it's the same with partners. And And what's cool about that, is that you 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 only see those imperfections if you're close with that person. So your your wife for example, I'm sure she has imperfections that no. nobody else knows about. <laughs> you're saying no. Okay, she must be listening to this. Uh, <laughs> but um but but you as the husband, you know those and nobody else gets to see those. And sometimes some people get to see some of them some of the time, but nobody's nearly as much as as let's say the, you know, one's intimate partner. Yeah. And in a way, like these things are like the blue nose example, like maybe there's some objective things, like there's a standard, there's an inspection, you know, all, all of that. And, And this is different from that particular standard that it's been set by whoever wrote those, particular standards for that inspection and all of that type of stuff, which can change, you know, but oftentimes like when it's just like human to human type of thing, 
it's just a judgment. Like it's just an, like this, this in my judgment, you know, imperfection, like is this wonderful quality to, you know what I mean? To some, something else. But it reminds me of one of these um, paradox type of quotes. Like when you think about the definition of a paradox and this guy, Niels Bohr said that the opposite of a correct statement is a false statement, but the opposite of a profound truth may well be another profound truth. Like, does that connect in some sort of way of like in the way of some sort of, and maybe in like imperfection is not the best word, but I I think sometimes in the way of like humans, maybe some of those particularly employees, you know, the things that might, uh, might be a con or might cause some issues, you know, in a way, but like some of those people are hilarious, you know, they have like a great personality. Like they make the place fun and enjoyable to be around, you know? So it's like the opposite of that is also some sort of gift, some sort of, you know, thing that, that makes it all, all worth it in a way. Well, some people do have redeeming qualities, but I would say that the fundamental redeeming quality is actually that spirit of logos, or you could even call it the spirit of self-improvement, which let's put it simply, if an employee is willing and trying to improve, that's their redeeming quality, despite how terrible they are at their job. And now obviously there's boundaries to this because you know, you can't have someone that's just going to jump overboard if they work on a boat. But, you know, there, there are practical considerations here. But by, by the very nature, this speaks to the idea in uh, Christianity. Um, I think it was when Christ was on the cross and he had two sinners. And one of them basically acknowledged Christ as the God and the other one did not. And I think that idea, it basically means that if you're, if you're aiming up, despite the fact that you keep missing the mark and you continue to aim up, that's what redeems you despite the fact that you're aiming the, that you're missing the mark. It's a weird thing. It's like you keep falling short. You keep making mistakes. What allows you to be redeemed because of that? Trying to improve it, trying to get better, keep trying, not become a nihilistic, not saying screw it all not trying to screw everyone else around you. It's like continuing to stay on that path of, of growth, of just death and rebirth. You're, you you miss the mark, you miss the mark, you miss the mark. But I'm going to keep trying, and I'm probably going to keep missing the mark, but I'm going to keep trying. I'm going to really do my best here. And, and, and man, I can't tell you how many times you'll hear someone say that about an employee. They'll say, man, that guy's terrible at his job. It's like, yeah, he is, but he means well, he's trying, he's well-intended, he just... I don't know, man. He can't figure out how to do that. But it makes me think about the, um, like in terms of the growth, like the improvement thing of um, like having some sort of clarity about that. Because I don't know, like isn't sometimes like the uh, growth just not being miserable? You know, not like trying to be happier and there's many other words for like 
happy. I don't necessarily mean it, mean it like that, but some, like some sort of flourishing, you know, being joyful, especially around you think as, as, you know, social creatures like that, you know, that person that's part of a team that's just joyful. It's just grateful. You know, they're there. They just have a spirit to them. Oftentimes, we don't even think about that. I, I think especially in, um, you know, actual like professional organizations and work and things like that. Or like that is extremely important. I, I don't know. Do you think about that in terms of uh, like improvement? Yeah, well, I, I think when I talk about improvement, I just mean that there's this ideal that would allow you to flourish. There's this mode of being that would allow you to flourish. And that includes having the right perspective about things, acting in the right way. And that the closer you get to that, the closer you allow yourself to to flourish. Right. So, yeah, that's what I think about improvement because, you know, part of accepting that virtue is the way to go is accepting that vice is not the way to go. And the consequence of that is that when you miss the mark, there's there's going to be some kind of of consequence to that. I think they go hand in hand. But certainly we can strive to act more in such a way that allows us to to flourish more. And if there is that perfect point of flourishing where we're we're completely virtuous, let's say the Stoic sage, I don't know whether or not that exists or not, but but I do know that we can all get closer to that. I don't know if we can ever, ever attain it. I don't personally don't think we can. But we can improve. And I, I guess that's what I mean by prove. It's not even necessarily improving skills, though they do go hand in hand, I think. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah, it is. It, it, it seems like it's so easy for us, at least like as I'm thinking about it recently. You know, I mentioned these like, uh, you know, habits, like being grateful, something we've talked about a lot. We can miss it as like a move in ourselves. It's like, what's the move here? How do I improve this? <laughs> you know, especially if it's like, you know, something terrible. I'm going to incorporate some, you know, just being grateful for for everything about this. But it's also, it seems like we can miss that in terms of others, like partners, work. Like, you know, we can miss some of that type yeah. of stuff is really something that, Wow. You know, it's like you can see the person that is maybe not so uh, not so good about like whatever it may be. Obviously, you're in, in you know technical type of stuff, so it, it actually like you know really matters that people know how to how to do things. I'm, I'm sure it's a it's a critical thing, but in the way of um, like the improvement thing, if you think of uh, like Michael Phelps, you know the Olympic swimmer. There's a, a certain level of just, you know, grit and tenacity and a bit of like neuroticism to get that good. Like he kind of talks about it and, you know, after leaving that sport, you know, goes through a lot of a lot of counseling and all of this type of stuff. Where the other person, you know, that is more just like joyful and grateful doesn't quite quite have that same makeup as and I'm using like Phelps as an extreme example of the person that is like 
really hard on themselves from a technical level. And it's about kind of improving their particular craft. Um, it, it's just an interesting thing that sometimes we can miss that in ourselves as like the move and miss it and observing it as a, as a real gift in others. Yeah. And that, those, those people at the very top, Michael Phelps, Michael Jordan, man, you, you look at those people and they, people envy those people all the time because like, they look at the success they have. And then if you watch like Michael Jordan's documentary, for example, or you read up on Michael Phelps and you, you get some understanding of what's going on internally, man, like that's, that's a rough, that's a rough place to be where, where they're just, they're so critical. They're consumed. They're so hyper-focused on this. And, and Goggins, David Goggins talks about this too. He said, when you get to that place where you're just obsessed, right? You're, you're, you've flown for 12 hours that day and drove for three hours and you come home and you go to the gym. Like when you're obsessed and people think you're freaking crazy, he said, that's what it takes. And I think, I think the, the, the stoic perspective or certainly my perspective would be, that's not always worth it. Right. Like exceeding <laughs> yeah. at that highest level is not always worth it. And, you know, in, in, in a sense, it, it's a weird thing, right? Because people, those people inspire so much. But then in, you think about what that person as an individual had to go through to, to, to really inspire people to that degree. It's like, is it worth it in the greater scheme of things? Like in the stoic cosmopolitan, is it worth it to have you know, 0.1% of the population that's just crazy, but they exceed at the highest level and they inspire everyone else in the cosmos. Maybe, but from an individual perspective, man, that that's, that's a rough place to be and, and to be so self-critical and yeah, at, at the, uh, yeah, push themselves towards excellence at the expense of, 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 of a flourishing life individually. It's, it's kind of rough. Yeah. It's such an important point though, I think of, um, like maybe it is for some, you know, and hopefully they've thought about that. You know, they're at some of those forks in the road and you think about pros and cons and, you know, you make a decision that aligns with what you want to do. Um, that whole like deathbed type of contemplation, like you're on the deathbed. What are the regrets that you can live with? You know, for some, on the deathbed, you know, doing that contemplation, the re the regret of not giving, you know, fill in the blank particular sport or whatever it may be or career, everything, they can't live with that regret. You know, that's like the only way. And then, you know, others like can can you live with the regret that you didn't spend as much time and invest you know, towards relationships, towards, you know, family, kids, or, you know, whatever it may be. Um, and that's, that's honestly like, I think that is such a helpful tool to make decisions. And that, and that's a bit of what like helped me to make the decision now to, to have the, the ability and the freedom to like bring my kids to school and pick them up and, you know, not have all of these kind of extra responsibilities at least at least for now is because i don't know i just, i can't live with that or i don't want to live with that particular regret of um you know not having some of this time while my kids are a bit younger 
and it's a, it's a fortunate place to to be um but based on where i'm at in this position yeah i just can't i i don't want to live with that regret of um you know not having having some of that time with them yeah 100% yeah that's that's a very interesting perspective you know um yeah i think i probably have that with with just excelling at my career i suppose which is sort of a semi selfish one. Maybe that'll change once uh once I have kids or if I'm lucky enough to have kids, but um but yeah, I mean I think you you do, man. Like there's there's things we're all individuals, right? And if, if you were to ask Michael Jordan, I don't know, man, maybe, maybe who knows? Maybe he would say that it was it was worth it all. Maybe not. I don't know, but in some sense you might you might even wonder, well may, maybe was there much of a choice in it? You know, you think about like what, what really drives you. Like I, I can tell you from an individual perspective, I, I need to be deeply engaged in my work. Like there's, there's no other way. Kids, a good partner, none of that is going to fall into place unless um, I'm like focused in work, right? Like I'm, I'm just so driven in that regard. And I understand that about me. And I, I just, I got a feeling that maybe Michael Jordan understood that about himself. And maybe Michael Phelps yeah. understood that about himself that despite despite this never feeling satisfied with with where I am right now and always seeking to improve despite all of that like this this is how I thrive, and maybe we don't understand it because we are not them, yeah, you know we we, we look at you and I just spoke about Michael Phelps and Michael Jordan being in misery basically because they were always self critiquing. Maybe if they weren't doing that, they would be in a much worse state than they are doing that. Yeah, completely. Yeah, it could be. And that's um, like everybody's got to make that particular, that decision and that that choice. And and I bet for some it's like um, maybe it's an easy decision for them because it's, it's not even like a choice. You know, there's some of these things where it's like, I have to do this. Like say you find yourself at a fork in the road. Sometimes there's just no fork in the road because it's it's like an easy decision. You're like hyper focused and this is you almost feel pulled down this particular path. Um yeah, it's an interesting thing and like a, a fortunate thing. But I think a lot of people get that, you know, experience that. It's in different things, but like not every not everything is this like fork in the road existential like question, you know, thing. It is to you and I, my friend. <laughs> not, not, yeah, not everything though. I'm sure there's like many things of, um, like strength training though. There might be a bit of, you know, resistance that you have to obviously deal with and you go do things, but like whether to do that or not, just in general, it's probably not really a decision. Like I'm not into it as much as you are, but for me, it's, it's not really a decision. I mean, it's like, this is yeah. something that's happening, but it's not a, it's, it's not a decision because I know the consequences of not doing it. Yeah. Right. Despite not even getting like, even if I don't get any progress, even if I get weaker, it's still worth doing it because like, man, the alternative, that's one of the things that um is very helpful too. You know, you talk about the consequences of doing this or doing that. And you also have to think about, you know, what, what the, what the alternative is. 
because sometimes the alternative is far worse. So you might, you know, you might say, I, I don't want to go to the gym today. Okay. Well, that's, you're going to, let's say you're, let's say you're going to hate your life and you're going to suffer for an hour and a half. Well, the alter- alternative is not doing that. And what's the longer term consequences of that? Um, because life is not perfect, we can get caught up sometimes in looking at that 1%, 5%, 10% of the situation that we don't like. And we don't always realize that if we make another choice, there's still going to be part of that that you don't like. That there's there's always going to be a compromise and you can never reach that perfection. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, I think you and I, when it came to, when it comes to exercise, I think we just understand on the deepest of levels that this isn't a choice for us because I tell you, man, I'm, I don't like the person I am when I'm not exercising. Yeah, it, it, it's just something that, I don't like, in a way, it just has to happen. I mean, it's like you're not necessarily, like, whether to brush your teeth or not is not really a discerning thing. You're not at the fork in the road. Like, should this, it's just, it's all good. It's good and on a... Uh, you know, many, many levels and not doing it. It's like, it's in the category of not, not so good. Yeah. Um, let me throw this quote at, quote at you though, from uh, Thomas Merton. He says, happiness consists in finding out precisely what the one thing necessary may be in our lives and in gladly relinquishing all the rest. For then, by a divine paradox, we find that everything else is given us together with the one thing we needed. What comes to mind there? Ooh. Kind of read that kind of choppy. Happiness consists in finding out precisely what the one thing necessary may be in our lives. And in gladly relinquishing all the rest. Kind of makes me think. It makes me think on how. You really, you really kind of do just need one thing to. I think fully understand a lot of these life lessons. There's, there's different catalysts to learn different lessons. And I, I often say like. One of the best things I did when I was young is I, I learned to be become really proficient at guitar. And so I, I decided that that was important and and I worked at it and I got better at it and I got pretty good at it. And what that did was it allowed me to understand that I can improve, that I can get good at, at something. And that's something that I take for granted now. I'm sure you take take it for granted. But when you're young, when you haven't accomplished anything yet, it, it, it's not – like most young people actually don't think that they can accomplish anything. And so it, it, a lot of times something captures your interest and you get engaged with that and you become better at it. And by mastering that one particular thing, yes, you're mastering one thing, but you're gaining something more important than that. And that is that, that philosophical foundation that you know that you can self-improve. You know that you can get better. You know the benefit of hard work. You know the benefit and the value that that sort of thing gives back to you. And so it's almost like by unlocking one thing, you unlock potential for for the rest of your life. And I have no idea if that's related to what you said at all. (laughs) No, but 
I, I, I think it is. And I, I think it's related to a lot of what we've been talking about. But, you know, in the way of, like, when we think of self-improvement or excellence or, like, accomplishing anything, blah, 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 like, whatever it may be. Like, we brought up examples of, like, Goggins has come up, uh, Michael Jordan, like, Phelps, different things. And it's like, we really like these things that we can measure. You know, we, we had the long chat and back and forth, uh, like a bit of a, not necessarily an argument, but a little bit around like the, um, the goals, you know, it's like, just like the process. We don't often think of excellence in the way of being a spouse, being a friend, being a parent. Like we can, in my experience in myself and like just others, it seems like we can put those in a category as like something else. You know, we put it in a category of like not something that might require like the same level of dedication. You know? You're talking directly to me on this, man. <laughs> <laughs> I'm talking to myself. And, and I mean, but it's... it's um. You know, like, what would a life look like in terms of, like, like the excellence that I'm committing myself to is, you know, friendship or, you know, these things that are, it's just not measurable like it is in terms of getting in a pool and seeing how fast you can go. You know, not that that's not also, like, important as well, but, you know, how do we think about in the same way as those types of things? as some of these, you know, human to human type of things, like the thing of, um, I, you know, like heartbreaking of, uh, and I, I don't know the story, obviously, but you think of like Tom Brady, you know, one of those pretty, like really committed to excellence, kind of like retires, comes back, plays another year. And, you know, in the media, it's like, it seemed like his, his family specifically didn't want him to do that. And it's like, the relationship ends and it's like, man, you know, I don't know the story who really knows, but you know, if it was for this commitment to excellence for this, obviously if that's what he chooses or anybody else chooses, like, you know, that that's great, you know, choose. And, and we all, we all get to lead the type of life, but it's also a challenging thing to try to be, you know, really good at being a spouse. Like that's also a difficult thing. If we can think about it in the same way, like there's no sort of Super Bowl, you know, ring. It's not exactly the same way. It's, it's, uh, but I don't know. It's, it's kind of fascinating to me. Like that, that, that shit's hard. Those things are difficult as well. Uh, yeah. I'd say they're the most difficult. I, I'm just, I'm thinking, yeah, I would say I'd need work on that, my personal relationships. I, I would say that what I've gotten better at over the last couple of years, I, I would phrase it slightly different. I would say excellence of serving, right? Because I, I think that's what you do in in a relationship. And I also think it's what you do in leadership, right? Like you're you're there to serve. And that's something that 
Yeah, I've, I've certainly been dedicated to excellence towards, but it's, it's a pretty recent thing for me. And I, I, I suppose it comes from the fact that I, I just, I, I have a lot of respect and love for the people I work with. So it, it is an element of, I want you to flourish in this role. So I'm going to serve you as best I can. And I'm not, I'm not saying I'm perfect at that, but, but certainly that, that desire to, to become excellent at serving. Yeah. That, that's, I can relate to that there. I think I have a lot of work to do when it comes to personal relationships with that, but that's interesting. And you're absolutely right. People don't think about it like that because it is, it is a truly selfless act to think, how can I serve you best? And what's tricky about that is it's not always cowtailing to people and it's not, you know, like if I'm going to serve you, Josh, as a friend, I'm not going to text you 10 times a day asking you what I can do for you. So yeah. that's just going to annoy the shit out of you. Right. So it's, it's not that either. So it's this, it's, it's a really, it's a hard equation. And I think we all think we know how to do it, but I don't think most of us, including myself really know, or I think it's something we just assume like we, you know, we, of course they know I love them. Of course. It's like, really? Because you're, yeah. you're thinking about that through your lens. You're not thinking about that through their lens. And that's, hey, granted, that's a hard thing to do. But I, I think that is how you best serve people in relationships. And yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe we would be all, all be better off focusing <laughs> maybe at least a little bit towards <laughs> excellence of, uh, excellence of, of, of being a servant in relationships, which is, you could argue, virtue. Yeah. Oh, completely. And maybe it's, you know, in a way there's, there's room for, for all of that. Like all of those things can exist at the same time. Like in terms of, like you were talking about a particular, you know, skill of focusing on the guitar, you know, that can make you better at other things, you know, committed to excellence or committed to trying to be the best spouse that you can be can make you a better leader can, you know, just, I mean, everything's like interconnected. Some of these skills and stuff like that are carried over and just like the, the discipline of being able to, you know, control your actions and what you do and try to lead the life. Like so many of these things, but it is just weird though how it's like we don't necessarily think of that. Um, but I would say I have massive room for improvement in in terms of that type of stuff, like as a spouse. And it's really by far the most important thing to me, like not even a question. Like that particular um, quote talking about that paradox from Merton. And it's still like I watched that uh, to um, to plug married at first sight one more time check it out. <laughs> uh, if I knew the station in time, I would give it like a, an exact station in time, but uh, I don't know. It's just recorded. But, you know, sometimes you watch some of these things and you'll see a person on there that is just, wow, like really good, you know, like really, I mean, excellence is like a weird word to say, but just like a real good partner, like a really wise, considerate, compassionate, you know, friend, spouse, like whatever it may be. Um, and uh, 
sometimes at least like how I think about different things, it's like, like there's just doing it, but just like we, you know, like Phelps. Yeah. <laughs> there's different levels to these things, but we don't always like equate that. Like we know that Phelps, because it's objective that he's a million times better than a million other people that have done it. But we don't necessarily think about that from a humility standpoint. Like, wow, there's people that are on totally different levels than I am at this thing of being a spouse, at this thing of being a leader, at this thing of being whatever. There's people that are on totally different levels than I am. And that's okay. But just from a humility standpoint of, you know, what are some areas that I might be unaware of, you know, that I could bring greater attention to, you know? Yeah. And, and the, the tricky part of that, if you take the stoic contention, is that ultimately that person that you are trying your best to serve and help flourish can only flourish because of their own intentions and actions. Mm-hmm. And so that's what makes it interesting because you, you think about, well, how do you, how do you, how do we compare these things? Let's say you look at husband A and husband B. Wife A is happy and flourishing. Wife B is miserable. Is that necessarily because of the husband? And the Stoics would say, no, of course not. At the same time, there is this, there is a very significant portion of that uh, that comes from externals, which is other people. And, you know, I struggle with this from, from the Stoic perspective, right? But I actually like to think about it as luck. So you can think of externals as as luck if they align with, let's say, a preferred and different. And so, okay, well, here, here's a great example. You can never request luck in the stoic sense because it's outside of your control. And other people are outside of your control. But because other people are outside of, the, of your control, what that means is that you are outside of other people's control. And that's wordy. But what it means is that if I wish to serve you as a friend, I can bestow upon you luck. I can bestow upon you a preferred and different. And that's so cool, man. I love the, it. That's no, so yeah. cool. No, that's a, that's a beautiful idea. And I think like way to think about it, you know? Yeah. That is, that is beautiful. Um, yeah, maybe we can share what's the best way for people to um, connect, paradoxically speaking, on Substack? I I would say paradoxically speaking on Substack. And um, for those of you who are afraid, paradoxically, it's not as hard to say as you might think. Give, <laughs> give it a try. We, Me and Josh only had to practice for like 20 episodes. Um, yeah, that's it. Paradoxically speaking, let me, let me wrap it up with one, one quote that we didn't get to that is, I want to say it's on the about page of paradoxically speaking on Substack. So you don't even have to write this down. If you go there, you can check it out. But Oscar Wilde, he says, well, the way of paradoxes is the way of truth to test reality. We must see it on the tightrope. When the verities become acrobats, we can judge them. I love it. Let's wrap. Let's wrap it up there. Anything we missed? Uh, I would say that if you're interested in some bonus ex- episodes, which we got to do a bit better, have a better job at releasing. Yeah, 
but uh but we we do have some premium content that you can uh yeah that, that you can uh subscribe to on paradoxically speaking uh substack premium so definitely check that out and we we both of us as well have uh our own individual works uh, i have the strong stoic podcast josh has in search of wisdom and actually you you do a lot man you man you've been ripping out content like mad so props to you i've i've actually scaled down i've been doing one episode a week but you've been like ripping out courses and all kinds of stuff so i'll give you maybe give you a chance to explain what you're doing over there uh yeah i try to put out something daily on uh, perennial meditations that perennial thing it just never ends it just keeps going every day there's something so yeah if you're down with getting a bunch of emails in your <laughs> in your inbox but paradoxically speaking not as many emails once every other week casual conversations on on what what is this what have we been chatting about the paradox that's a great question man i i we've actually not been com- entirely structured in how we been, <laughs> been coming up with the you topics think, for this you think yeah but uh I, I mean though. i yeah I, I don't know i think we've we've just chatted so many times that um we have these reoccurring uh, things that come up and I think it's, it's, it's always evolving as well. And I think we hit new material as well. I think this was, there's some overlap with the previous content, but I think there's a lot of new stuff here too. So nice. We'll fix that. We're going to start repeating stuff repeatedly to keep it paradoxical. And here's a, here's a hint too. Like if you want to sound smart in conversation, if you don't understand something, just call it a paradox. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's good stuff. I love it. Let's end it there.